Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to You've Got Five Pages to Tell Me It's Good, where I grab a book from the new release shelf at my local library and work out if this book can indeed, in five pages, tell me it's good. So I grab something different. I have absolutely no idea what it is. It just looks neat. <laughs> it's got it's got a very eye-catching cover. It is called Hester by Lori Lico Albanese. I have absolutely no clue what it's about. Um, it seems to be, uh, according to the back page, cover, back page, back cover, it is a poignant novel. It is a humorous, a luminous blend of fiction and truth. It is a message of resilience. It is hauntingly lyrical. Okay. Well, this could still sound really nice. I mean, I I have a hard time with books that are just going to be poignant. But then again, one of my favorite writers that I enjoy hearing aloud is Louise Erdrich. So I need to just tell my inner critic to be quiet and be willing to hear and have an open mind about things. All right. If I can just find where it starts. There we go. Hey, we have a chapter one. No prologue. Already a win. All right. So let's take a look at chapter one of Hester. Salem was meant to be a new beginning. A place where the sharp scent of cinnamon and tea perfumed the air with hope. A place where the colors could be safe and alive in me. I was 19 years old and Nathaniel Haythorne was 24 when we met on those bricked streets. His fingers were ink-stained. He was shy but handsome. The year was 1829, and we were each in our own way, struggling to be free. He with his notebooks, I with my needle. Some people will tell you that Nat spent the better part of a decade after Bowdoin College alone in his room, learning to write. But that is a fabrication meant for the ages. The true story of how he found his scarlet letter and then made it larger than life begins when I was a child in Scotland and he was a fatherless boy writing poetry that yearned and mourned. Okay, I'm just going to pause for a second. Ah, so we have here a little historical imagining of inspiring Nathaniel Hawthorne to write a, The Scarlet Letter. Okay, well, interesting. All right. Now that I have a little bit of sense, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the wide Sargasso Sea a little bit. Okay. Moving back into the story. Sometimes I still picture him in my mind. A lonely nine-year-old boy with a bad limp and a mop of dark hair standing at the edge of the Massachusetts Bay waiting for a ship. He knows that his father has died of yellow fever somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, yet the boy is waiting with pencil at the ready. Something in him knows, I believe this, even after all this time, that although his father will never return, a story just as powerful is coming toward him. It is me. 
bent into the wind, fleeing home with my colors and my needle and my own set of needs and dreams. It is me with my red letter secreted away. Like all the women in my family, I was born in a stone cottage in the town of Abington beside the River Clyde. I had red hair and green-blue eyes and was named Isabel for my grandmother, just as my mother was named Margaret for her grandmother. For hundreds of years, we've been Isabel, Margaret, Isabel, Margaret, a chain of women going back and back through time, ma'am said, and I liked the way it sounded. All of us red-haired girls stitched together like paper dolls. I lived in a world of magic and color then. My mother's voice, a sapphire stream flecked with emeralds. My father's, a soft caramel. In summer, I ran barefoot through the valleys with my cousins and kin and saw their voices rise up in vibrant wisps of yellow and gold. The wind was sometimes fierce pink, and the sound of the waterfall, waterfall on rocks glistened silver. I didn't know my colors were unusual, and so I never thought to speak of them. Just as I never remarked on the air, or the feel of a blanket at night, or the bark of my father's laugh that I loved so well. I'm just going to pause here. While I'm not one for his... No, that's not fair. I think historical imaginings of that are connected to stories and or authors or, or other figures that we care about can be very intriguing, very compelling. I've never been particularly curious about Nathaniel Hawthorne in this way, but I am going to say this. Lori Lico Albanese knows how to turn a phrase. There is beautiful prose in here. I am really enjoying reading aloud this experience of colors that, Isabel has. So this this is beautifully written. I'm going to say that right off the bat. Even if I'm not hyped up to see how she interacts with Nathaniel Hawthorne, I'm, I am definitely enjoying hearing the prose out loud. And that's important to think about as a writer. Because uh, even if you know you can't catch every reader, you know, but you can still give them something to enjoy. And of course you should tell the story you want to tell. And clearly Albanese wanted to tell the story and that's fine. And I am sure there are going to be people who really enjoy this journey back into the past. Um, but even if journeying into the past is not your thing, it's still wonderful to enjoy the words. And having that joy of language. That's important. All right, back to it here. Every year at the summer solstice, we burned a bonfire and danced around the maypole. And in winter, we hung mistletoe in the cottage. Pap spoke of fairies who lived beneath the may trees, of selkie seals that swam ashore and enchanted the lovelorn, and of brave clansmen who died fighting the English. A horse with a shining wet mane is a Kelpie come to take you away. Pap's voice spooled like caramel. Does caramel spool? That, okay, that threw me off there. As he shook a warning finger at me. And if you swim in the river and leave your clothes out for the 
and I shall steal your soul, and that will be the end of you. Don't frighten her, ma'am scolded, and Pat put up a finger as if to warn me this was our secret. But when we walked together for looking for mushrooms in the spring, he spoke of sprites and white dresses who sat beside the river to wash the clothes of the dead, and of an unlucky lad who'd stumbled upon one and drowned the following day. Ma'am grew tight-lipped when Pap spoke of magical creatures and mysteries beyond God, but I knew, by the gentle way my mother trimmed his beard and by the way Pap held her at the waist when they danced around the bonfire, that theirs was a love bond, and that it would protect me. Their stories protected me, too. I was my mother's first child. Five years later, my brother Jamie came. While she was caring for him, Ma'am said it was time for my first sampler. She showed me how to make my letters first on a slate with chalk, then with needle and thread. One day you'll learn to read, Ma'am squinted at a line of letters she'd made and the rougher ones I'd traced out beneath them. I didn't get far, but you, Isabel, will read books. I'd heard it whispered that one of Ma'am's aunts had been locked away in a madhouse and never seen again. She'd left behind a rainbow sampler that hung behind my mother's sewing chair. I'd studied it for hints of madness, but found none. I looked at it that day and vowed I would make one even more beautiful in my time. I experimented with a thimble made of seal bone, then settled on a plain tin thimble that fit my small finger. Tongue between my teeth, I worked carefully. When I fumbled and pushed the needle beneath my fingernail, I never cried out. Young though I was, I was full of obedient determination. I was preparing a green thread for the letter D when Ma'am came up behind me. What have you done? Her angry voice washed over me like soft blueberries and blackberries. I was loving the color, but some of these metaphors are really throwing me off here. Okay. Is it wrong? I studied my work. It was neat and straight. I gave you black thread to make the letters black. But A is red, I said quietly. Like the colors in the wind and the hue of my mother's voice, this had come to me without intention or fanfare. B is blue and C is yellow. No, they are not. My mother slapped my knuckles with her timbre hook. That blow was hard, and tears stung my eyes. She'd never struck me before. Never say that! Her words flashed in blue-black bolts, and I saw the whites of her eyes. She wasn't only angry, she was afraid. They'll call you crazy or say you're a witch. They'll say the devil's taken hold of you, and they'll want to burn it out of you. Do you hear? I'd heard whispered stories of witches hanged and burned in the fields of men who did not defend against the devil and then found themselves full of evil and spite. Witches were spoken of in the past, but evil, insanity, and death were as plausible to me as pap sulky seals and deadly kelpie seahorses come to take away the living. Isabel, do you understand? I nodded wordlessly but my mother shook me by the shoulders so hard my teeth rattled. She meant for me to be afraid. You must defend it against it, Isabel. You must pray and be strong. Promise me. Yes, ma'am, I promise. Ma'am and I prayed together that night, but she didn't speak of the colors again, nor did I. After that, 
If my mother gave me black thread, I used black. If she asked for red, I used red. One day, the sampler that hung behind her sewing chair was gone, replaced by a simple herbal chart my grandmother had stitched long ago. I dared not ask after the great aunt's work, for I had seen and felt my mother's ire and did not want to see it again. I told myself there were no colors and voices or letters, and I refused my reading lessons, for the letters were not white on black slate, but a rainbow of colors that I knew were wrong. Ma'am seemed to understand and did not push me further. But even as I kept silent, the colors became more vivid and my dreams wilder. Whether the colors were good or ill, witchcraft or the devil, I had no power to stop them. I tried praying and wishing them away, and once I left an offering of sugar for the fairies beneath the may trees, but nothing banished them. Ma'am and I continued to work our needles together, and the following year, when we finished a flowered smock for me to wear on Sundays, she took the red thread and made the letter A in the hem, small and neat. For Abington, the town where you were born, her face was smooth and serious as she folded the letter out of sight and began to stitch the hem over it. And because our women have always hidden away their red letters. Until that moment, it hadn't occurred to me that the colors might run through our family the way our red hair and names cycled through time. If they did, what did it mean? Did my mother have the colors? Were there others like me? I waited for her to say more, but she did not. It is gone now, ma'am, I ventured. Letters have no colors. Words are just words. She put a hand on to my chin and tipped my face to hers. You're strong and wise, my sweet Isabel, she said. And I understood that I would have to keep my secret alone, that we would never speak of it again. I think I'll stop there. Or wait, well, we got a little bit of time. And I'm not yet at the, at, the, at the end of chapter two. But, um, yes, okay, we should. Let's keep going just a little bit longer. Ma'am's cousin was a dressmaker who kept a small shop in the town of Bagger. I was seven years old the year we traveled two hours by wagon cart to visit her. To clothe a woman is to hide her failings and frailties, Auntie Aileen told me, a dressmaker is talented with the needle, but above all, she is a secret keeper. I understood this well, for I was a secret keeper too. I showed, a I showed Aileen a doll's dress I'd sewn of green poplin with colorful flowers strewn across, the strewn, strewn across the skirt. Aileen turned the dress inside out to study the seams and the knots I'd made in the backs of the flowers. I held my breath to see if she would remark upon the tiny red A folded away. But either she did not know it was there, or she kept silent. The work is Isabel's, ma'am said. She was proud. Not one stitch is mine. She's well suited for the needle, Aileen said. When your, when your girl is ready, I'll take her as an apprentice. I visited Auntie Aileen again when the merchant's wives came to order new winter dresses and sat on a three-legged stool, holding her pins and chalks. The best dresses offer secrets, but no surprises, Aileen said when we were alone. Little pockets and camouflage for flaws with no hint of what's hidden beneath the flare of a bell sleeve, the bones of a corset, or the insert inset of a shorting. 
She told me she'd disguised a lady's twisted arm beneath a thick bishop sleeve, sewn a hidden pocket into a shirtwaist, and much more. Before long, I was able to see the ways that a woman hid herself with a cloak, a cap, or a shoe, with a lift to hide a crooked knee. I drew these things in my book, sketches for preserving a lady's dignity. You work quietly, my aunt said. I like that. Her words didn't generally have hue or shape to them, but I saw these in the thick yellow of an egg yolk. Sometimes there's more power in silence than in speech, she added. Our ancestress, and our ancestress knew it well, and it served her well. Ancestress? Auntie Aileen tipped her head when she looked at me. Isabel Gaudi, queen of witches. She's your namesake. Her words were still yellow, which I came to know as the color of truth. She knew when evil was right there in front of her in the shape of man, and she knew when to be silent and when to raise hell to the heavens. At this, Aileen climbed onto a stool, raised a broom toward the heavens, and shouted, Yea, I am what you say I am! I have lain with the devil's forked prick inside me, and if you kill me, hell will reign on earth! That's what she did when the men came for her, <laughs> T. Aileen explained, catching my shocked expression. I felt a bolt of feared excitement. And did it? I asked. Did hell reign on earth? Aileen blinked down at me, climbed off the stool, and straightened her skirts. You'll have to ask your mum about it. When I asked my mother, she was angry. Aileen is a fool. Forget that nonsense and never mention it again. I felt my knees as if to pray or beg for an answer, but ma'am spun upon me. Right here in Lanarkshire, Lanarkshire County, they killed hundreds of witches and more in the Highlands. King James wrote the law and the king could do it again. I saw the fear in the whites of ma'am's eyes. Today, this very hour, law or not, they'd put a woman to death if they thought she had the devil in her. And if you're not careful, such talk will bring Satan to you. Am I bedeviled? I whispered. My mother took my wrist and held it hard. You must always beware. You must call on God and keep the strange talk out of your mind. Even strong women can fall, Isabel. You must beware of magic and all the things we don't understand. I worried over my mother's words for months. I didn't want to fall into the devil's snare. I didn't want to be put into an asylum or hanged from the gallows. I wanted to be a dressmaker! to live in a city and have a shop and embroider dresses with flowers and birds. I loved the needle and thread, and I feared losing them above all because they put let me put my visions into cloth in a way that no one questioned, in a way that brought me praise. They let me keep my secrets in plain sight, where I prayed they would hurt no one, least of all myself. And that is the end of the first chapter. Um, I... We'll stop there. There's definitely a level of intrigue here. I, I'm not going to lie. I, even for one who wasn't really keen to read about Nathaniel Hawthorne, there is definitely something very compelling going on here. And I give Lori Lico Albanese all the kudos for that because I wasn't expecting it. Um, I think it helps with writing in first person perspective and from the perspective of a child. I mean, it's an adult looking back at their childhood yes but still we can understand that urgency a young child will feel especially as they're trying to sort out their future and their place and and 
realizing that their life is legitimately at stake depending on just the words they say. So I think Albanese really captures that fear um, while also giving us a sense of magic. Is it magic? Is it not? As far as the colors go and seeing in colors, it really gets us thinking. We are curious. And if you do enjoy historical fiction, maybe if you did, if you're a fan of Nathaniel Hawthorne and you just want to kind of explore what could else, what else could have been his muse, um, if you enjoy that time period, uh, or if you just want to step outside of yourself for a bit, this could be that book for you. Uh, so do check it out, Hester by Lori Likono. Lico Albanese, and we'll see what else I find next week. Maybe I will be surprised yet again. That'd be awesome. So until then, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers. <laughs>